Today's episode of Rates and Barrels is brought to you by The Athletic. We're still running our 40% off deal at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Get a subscription. Get everything we do. Get Eno's written stuff. Get all the fantasy baseball coverage, rankings. We've got fantasy football coverage, of course. We've got regular baseball coverage, team-wide, league-wide. Everything you could possibly want, all for the best deal in sports media. 40% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 121. It's Thursday, August 6th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. And on this episode, we're going to talk about reach rates a lot because Eno said something that kind of blew my mind on the last episode. I didn't freak out on the air about it. I sort of just let it go by and decided we should explore it on another episode. But we want to know who's thriving and who's flailing right now in terms of uh, not swinging at pitches outside the zone or swinging too much at those pitches. We're also going to look at the pitcher side of that metric. We'll see who's getting hitters to chase, who's not getting hitters to chase. And we're going to discuss the concept of streakiness versus consistency and how that may or may not be helpful in a shortened season. This is inspired uh, somewhat by the early season struggles of Justin Upton, as well as a mailbag question that came in uh, a few weeks back. So we'll try to make some sense of limited samples for guys that have pretty volatile track records of production. You know, how's it going for you on this Thursday? It is good. I'm going to the beer store today. Always a good day. That is a good day. Do you have a, a ritual? Do you have like a fixed appointment with your, uh, your beer vendor, your, your <laughs> local beer keep? Unfortunately, he gets the best stuff, I think, earlier in the week, and I go later in the week, but... You know, I have dry Mondays and Wednesdays and often dry Tuesdays. Um, so I just don't feel like going to the beer store on a day I'm not going to drink anything that I buy. That is sort of disappointing to go to the store and, and buy a few <laughs> things and come back and go, okay, you're for three days from now. Yeah, exactly. So I usually go on Thursday and Friday. It costs me a little bit, but usually he holds on to something exciting for me. And, um, so that's uh, that's good. Excited for the weekend. I'm going to probably try and find a lake and jump in it. Good plan. Good plan. Uh, going to do that probably about two or three weeks from now. I had some days off where I was going to move. Now I'm not going to move. So I'm going to take those days off and probably rent a boat and spend some time on a lake. And there you go. not think about anything for a few days because I feel like my brain has been just running overtime right now. You know, I was talking about this on Tom Tolbert's show on the radio the other day. You know, we went from zero to the fire hose. And it's if you like any other sport other than baseball, right now, it's very difficult to decide what to do with your time. I mean, <laughs> hockey's playing. Is hockey in the playoffs or almost? They're kind of doing like a qualifier thing for their last few spots. So, yeah, they're, they're basically in playoff mode. And, and, and basketball is like just finishing up the season to to get to the playoffs, but they're you know everybody's playing. This is almost never never happens. I don't think it ever happens that these three sports are all playing at the same time. And football is like making news in terms of like you know who's opting out and who's going to play, and they're about to start. So it's going to be every sport at once, which is just ridiculous. And within baseball, since there's this whole two point seven thing, where like every moment is two point seven moments. <laughs> this is math. 
Uh, it just feels just like uh, we went from you know staring at walls to staring at walls because we can't decide what to put on. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, it's a little crazy. And one thing I would, like I that is just I think, and this might be true for everybody, but large bodies of water are magical. There's something about, uh, and I think you know I I kind of grew up on a beach, but there's something about you know a large body of water that. Um, reminds you how inconsequential you are, but in a good way, you know, where you can feel connected to the world and a lot of the stuff that was bothering you can kind of wash away, you know, pun intended, because, you know, you're just like, I am nothing against these thousands of tons of water, you know? Um Anyway, that's that's something that I felt recently just going to the beach for, for a few days. Even as I was working while I was at the beach, like going to the beach was very sort of uplifting and relaxing. Just the sort of cadence of the water, you know, I don't know. There's there's something about large bodies of water that uh, I, I, I have to live near one. Like I cannot not live near one. Yeah, I'm lucky. I've got a lot of lakes here in the upper Midwest, so I've got a few options. But I think it's just the the quiet. You know, Mm. it's not being tethered to computers or a TV, um, and then it's just not having a lot of road noise. In most places, if you're on a large body of water, there's not an adjacent highway. I mean, there's a few random exceptions, of course, but uh, it's very tranquil. I think is is why it just calms everything down. So looking forward to that in a few weeks. All it is, this isn't a complaint about how busy things are because compared to the alternative, (laughs) horrible. (laughs) I think it's, it's realizing that in order to keep up in a four sports running simultaneously sort of world where my responsibilities overlap to those sports, like I need to just step outside take a day off here and there. Like I need a few more maintenance days right now than I did <laughs> in August and September's past. So I'm just going to do that and it'll be, it'll be fun. So let's start talking about some reach rates because uh, the stat that you threw at me on the Tuesday show was that Trent Grisham leads the league in reach rate, leads it in a good way as in he has the lowest one. 15.1% is the number. And I thought, well, who else is doing really well in this regard? Because I, I, I know Grisham's got great plate discipline, but elite of the elite, I mean, this is the kind of category that someone like Joey Votto, probably at his peak, was frequently either at or near the top of the leaderboard there. And if you're able to do that, but you also bring power and you also bring speed, that's the foundation for a star-level player when you put all of those things together. So uh, the Grisham thing really stood out to me when you said it. The other guys who are in the same category early on this season, Max Muncie, 15.4%. 15.4%. Anthony Rendon right there at 15.5%. Mark Canha at 15.6%. Tiny little break, and you get to Mookie Betts. Brian Goodwin, I would say, is another surprise being this high on there. He's not a whiff machine by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think of him as a low strikeout rate guy. And I think that's kind of where my mind goes when I think, who do I expect to see on this leaderboard? Low strikeout rate guys. Carlos Santana is on this leaderboard. Uh, Yoshi Satsugo, Kevin Biggio. Uh, Yandy Diaz, Mikey Stremski, Brandon Nimmo, and Matt Olson all in the, the mid-18% range. I think you bring up a good point. I think the expected strikeout rate for all these guys is actually maybe higher than you expect, right? Like like Grisham's at 24%. Um, you know, the lowest strikeout rate is probably Betts and Rendon, maybe. But like Tsutsugo, Biggio, you know, Santana, these guys strike out, you know? Um 
And I think what happens is uh, not swinging at balls is also not swinging. And not swinging is correlated with power and overall production, but also, and walks, but also strikeouts. Um, and so I think a guy like Brandon Nimmo is a perfect thing to sort of bring up as maybe not a cautionary tale, but like that this is not just a one stat where you're like, if you are good at this, you are good. And I'm not saying Brandon Nimmo is bad. What I'm saying is that he can sometimes be a little too patient and can kind of watch ball uh, strike three sometimes. Um, and some, when he's at his best, he actually kind of ups his aggressiveness. So there is a relationship between your natural ability to make contact with the ball and, uh, how patient you want to be. I think there's a, there is a sort of too patient for some people, but, you know, looking at Grisham and seeing a 5.7% swing of strike rate, and he's leading the league in, um, in not swinging it out at pitches outside the zone. Like that's the combo I'm looking for. Okay, so you're looking at overall swing rates in concert with swinging outside the zone. And contact rates. Like, if you have a high swing strike rate and never swing at stuff outside of the zone, you can still be a very valuable player. I think that's probably, I'm going to pick up uh, Muncie or like Biggio's a little bit like that, but let me, uh, Muncie seems a little bit more stereotypical in this regard. Let me see. So his swinging strike rate is 10%, which is more like league average. So he has a 25% strikeout rate. But what he gets for that is a really high OBP. And when he's, when he makes contact for power, a lot of, a lot of power. So, um, you know, I think that's the sort of way for a lot of people, but that is a little bit of kind of old man baseball. Um, and, and the reason I bring this up is actually because of the laggards. I don't know if you want to jump into the laggards or if you want to kind of look at more of the leaders and, and, and dice them up a little bit. Let's throw the laggards out there just for some good counterpoints, right? Yeah, As exactly. a good way to support the idea that being great at this doesn't mean you're necessarily just going to be a good hitter across the board. The laggards, the guys who are, are swinging the most at pitches outside the zone, Jonathan Scope up above 50%, 56.3%. seems very high. Uh, Yadier Molina, wouldn't expect to see him on this list, 55.2%. They've only played a handful of games, so that could be part of it with him. Uh, Luis Robert, who is very aggressive. You look at his overall swing rates. He swings the bat a ton, 49.6%. You got Jose Peraza in there, Bo Bichette, 46.4%, Sal Perez, Anthony Santander, uh, Jeff McNeil, Eduardo Escobar, Rafael Devers, Eddie Rosario, Corey Dickerson, Hanser Alberto. Now, a few of those names really stick out to me because they're good hit tool guys. Like Bo Bichette is hit tool overpower, uses the entire field. I don't think that means there's a problem here when you see him on this leaderboard. I think it sort of sheds some light on maybe just how much he can attack pitches that aren't even in the zone and still get good results. Jeff McNeil, I mean, yes, there you go. Tool, Jeff right? McNeil, low, low strikeout right. rate. Hanser Alberto isn't a great fantasy player, but he's another Jeff McNeil. He puts a ton of balls in play, right? Yeah. So you do have to start looking at this and saying, okay, not an automatic ignore trade away, you know, sell high sort of situation if you see these guys on the laggard end of the board. This is actually, I, this, I think it's fascinating. It's very interesting, but it's also very hard to use in a fantasy way and to kind of say things that are monolithic. Like, for example, um, Jeff, Josh Hamilton always swung a lot, right? And he swung at pitches outside of the zone. And he did not have a great hit tool. But one of the problems, um, A, you can say this does not age well. 
And that is that is a true thing. If you look at how people that depend on contact outside the zone, people that that uh, swing at pitches outside the zone, it does not age well. So if Robert continues to do this, it will not age well. If Bichette continues to do this, it will not age well. So this is these are important things for dynasty leagues. And you can do say that monolithically. But when Hamilton was going well, one of the things that he did was swing so aggressively that he got out in front of his, uh, out of his, out in front of his, some of his problems, right? Like he swung three times and finally made contact before he struck out. You know what I mean? Like it might not have been a good thing to tell Hamilton, wait on more pitches. If he does not have great sense of what the zone is, he's going to wait on more strikes and just strike out more and not get the power. And I'm looking at a historical leaderboard. I just went from 2010 to 2020 just to see like what kinds of names have done this in the recent past. Right, The first name that popped into my head when you said this doesn't age well was Pablo Sandoval, which he was one of the better bad ball hitters in the league at his peak, but it was a short-lived peak, right? And there are other reasons for that, you know, potentially... Um, body type could maybe make a player age a little faster anyway but you take that approach that's the main problem Uh, Vlad Guerrero not a surprise senior not junior number one uh, if you look back at 2010 through 2020 45.3 percent O swing percentage this is a guy that would hit pitches that bounced on occasion like not a surprise to see him there but AJ Pruszynski but also maybe not amazing aging you know a lot of these guys didn't age amazingly right no a lot of them a lot of them didn't Javi Baez is pretty high on this list uh some randos like Jimmy Paredes is the top 10 Reed Johnson um Eddie Rosario I mean that's just kind of who Eddie Rosario is I, I think the reason I wanted to bring this up is I, th- I think a lot of times we get fixated on players who are very productive, but they don't do it in the sabermetrically ideal sort of way, and they get dinged for it. They That's they kind of fall into this sure. they they fall into this range where they keep producing like top fifty players, but because it doesn't look pretty in all the ways we want it to look pretty, they fall into that fifty one to one hundred or even like the one hundred to one fifty range. And I think that actually describes Eddie Rosario the last few years. Brandon Phillips was was always my thing, where it's like I don't. It doesn't look like he should be good, you know. Like there's all these things that are wrong with him. He strikes out too much. He doesn't wait on pitches. He doesn't walk. Like, but I do think it is important when it comes to aging. I mean, when he talked to Joey Votto, he says, "I'm doing everything I can to age as well, well as I can," you know. And I think he's right to say that by not swinging pitches outside of the zone where ozone contact is one of the things that ages the worst uh, because I think it is the most, it relies the most on athleticism. If you think about it, you know, hitting a pitch at your nipples, like that's really hard to do. And you have to have really kind of supple wrists and, and like a lot of uh, flexibility and uh, the ability to make bat speed really quickly. You know what I mean? Like, uh, th- like these things are, I think athletic athletic things, but like hitting a pitch down the middle, uh, I think you can do for longer, right? So if you kind of just concentrate on just pitches in the zone, just pitches down the zone in the middle, you can age a little better. So I do think that like a Grisham and a Rendon and a Betts, I think they're going to age better. Uh, you know, and even Biggio with a little bit less, uh, you know, contact ability, I think they're going to age better than Eddie Rosario uh, and, you know, Robert and uh, Javi Baez. Like, I, I, I think that's true because I think their game is a little bit less just dependent on athleticism. 
So Biggio came up back in the fall. I want to say after the 2019 season. I think we talked about him on our live episode at First Pitch Arizona in November. He's such a strange player. I mean, it's extreme fly ball with the approach. It's off the charts high walk rate. It's the potential for a high K rate. I mean, the very early returns of the season, he's down a little bit compared to where he was last year. He's got a couple of home runs. He's stolen a base in the first nine games. And I think the main concern that we brought up in November was that he does not hit the ball hard, but he hits the ball in the 8 to 32 degree launch angle range. So he's really good in the sweet spot percentage metric. So even though he's not hitting the ball hard to get the elevated barrel rate, he's in the range for the barrel rate all the time because of his approach. And I think because he's so selective, he's able to do that. Like That's a skill that he really seems to own that makes him a very unique sort of player. And I'm already wondering if the way I was looking at Kevin Biggio just seven or eight months ago was actually wrong. If I was looking at maybe only 50% of the puzzle, and now that I kind of see how this approach you know, merges together, blends together with uh, the way he's able to control the strike zone, I'm a little more comfortable buying in despite that flaw of you know, low average exit velocity because part of launching the ball like that is you're going to hit some soft fly balls. Like that's just going to happen with an approach like the one that he chooses to employ. Yeah, there is something that seems borderline about him to me. I don't know if it is athleticism. I'd like to see his sprint speeds, for example. Like, he, he steals bases. Um, let me see if I've got sprint speed on here. Sprint speed. 130th in the in MLB. It's kind of amazing that he steals bases and he's 130th in sprint speed. How much of that, though? So, I mean, this is where it's like his dad played in the big leagues for a long time. Great big leaguer. How much of that is just knowing things, having higher than average ability to read pitchers and, and get jumps, right? Like there, there's, there are things we talk about about stealing bases that aren't directly tied to sprint speed itself. I think we've even found with some of Jeff Zimmerman's research that sprint speed doesn't really correlate as well with stolen bases as we all think it would. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think that he like knows the game really well. You know, that's, uh, that's something that I would, I would say. And I think he knows his game really well. Um, and I think he gets a lot out of it. Um, but you know, there is like right now his launch angle is 23 and that's getting a little bit high. And in fact, his barrel rate is down. Um, he only has one barrel so far. Not that this is something we should be talking about definitively in, uh, small samples, but, um, there's something that does smack to me is like getting the most out of what he's got and what happens when he's got even less. Yeah. But not a guy that's going to have a 12 year career where he's, still fantasy relevant in year 12. Like that's probably the the long-term projection, right? It's probably a three to five year sort of run and then bench duty for a long time because he can play multiple spots and just kind of does everything well enough to hang around. And I don't know I don't want to like hang uh, untouchable or get at all costs on Trent Grisham, you know, 241 plate appearances into his career, but he does check these boxes where he has the low swing strike rate. So I think he has, that's a, as close as we have to a kind of understanding hit tool for hitters. Right. And he has the amazing plate discipline and he has athleticism because he's, he's stealing bases. He's playing center field defense. Like I think he could age really well. The only thing is like right now, 55% fly ball rate. That's a little aggressive, uh, but it's working out well for him. And that is something that I think he can toggle over time. 
Um, hopefully it's not set in stone just yet. Uh, but that's the only sort of asterisk I have on him because as he ages, he can move to the corners and he has still has enough power and patience to be relative to be useful in the corners. So he really checks a lot of the boxes when it comes to aging well. Um, and this is the beginning of it, I think. That, and why does Mookie Betts get a ton of money? It's not necessarily that he's the best player in baseball. It's that uh, he's got that speed. Uh, he's got the the all-around athleticism that will help him remain relevant as he gets older, the kind of Curtis Granderson with a better hit tool, right? Um, and, and Curtis Granderson was one of the better kind of late career signings uh, that I can remember. I'm trying to think, you know, if I had Trent Grisham in a keeper or a dynasty league, what would I want right now? It It seems like a very good time to deal him just in the most basic buy low sell high yeah right i mean like his projections coming into the season were basically all 240 for the average like high 240s at best 330 340 obp which isn't bad and then 440 440 450 slugging something in that range like that's pretty consistent across the board with all the projection systems slightly above league average bat yeah, and he's he's a lefty in a park that squashes left-handed power. Like that works against him mm-hmm. being in Petco. I think the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Like, is he a star? Well, he could be. Is he way over his skis? Maybe. But could he maybe age really well and be really and be really good while he's while he's doing it? Like, yeah. I think there's a chance that someone in your league thinks that they're selling high and would trade him away for less than they probably should. That's the way I would describe it. I don't think he's an obvious, yeah, like you said, not a go get him regardless of cost kind of player, but I do think someone might be looking at him more as found money than, I don't know, maybe a top 100 player going into next season. Like I think if you said try and project Trent Grisham's 2021 ADP today, <laughs> we're talking 13 games into a shortened season on August 6th, what is Trent Grisham's 2021 ADP? I would set the over-under at 100 overall. Like That's that's about where I expect him to fall based on what we're seeing right now because I don't think he's four homers and three steals for every 13 games he plays. That'd be insane. He'd be a first-rounder if that were the case, right? Like He's having a great start to the season, and he's got a lot of good skills to fall back on, so I see him in that 100 range. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, I think that's... Like... Uh, I doubt that he holds like a 300 ISO, basically. Um, right. I have so. no reason to believe he's going to hold that. Even though like AAA last year in a brief stint, he did that. But that's PCL and super happy fun ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's kind of hard to figure out what the ball is doing. I, I'm excited for kind of like a Rob Arthur uh, breakdown on this because, um, you know, what we're seeing is like perhaps the hitters are behind uh, the pitchers generally. Uh, in terms of preparation and readiness. Uh, but also, we're seeing that the the league is uh, playing more shenanigans with regards to relievers are pitching more than ever. And that's got to suppress offense a little bit. Um, and then on top of that, um, you've got, uh, you know, just league-wide trends in pitch design and, and pitch velocity, which are, you know, up again, you know, as always. 
Um, and so, you know, these things are all kind of pointing in different directions. And yeah, it's concerning that right now we have almost another percentage point higher. We're almost at 24% as the league average strikeout rate. And that the, the batting average right now is 232. I just don't know how much this is going to continue. And I don't know how the, the ball fits into that. We do have Masahiro Tanaka and other guys saying, well, you know, the ball feels different. Uh, but I don't even know if that's still true. Uh, because we we can't right now. It's really hard for us to kind of survey a lot of people on things because there are all these like, Zoom chats and you know access is just really fundamentally strange right now. Um, so I, I think we have to wait for the the drag numbers to come in to tell us a little bit more about how the ball is playing. And I don't think it's going to take that much longer to get that read on how much the ball has potentially changed or if it's still the same, right? We're not that far away from being able to figure that out. I mean, if I think back to the analysis that was being done in the postseason last year, that was turned around pretty quickly. So I don't think it's going to be more than, what, a couple more weeks before we have some pretty good insight into what the 2020 ball really is like. Yeah, no, I think I think he's I think he's close. Uh, he's He's been talking about it, and... Um, I think we'll hear about it perhaps next week. The one thing that is uh, making his research more difficult perhaps is that they, because of, um, because of COVID are throwing more balls away. Um, and I think we're talking about two or three uh, times as many balls being used per game as usual. And that uh, means that the sort of ball to ball variation is higher. And so that means that you kind of want a larger sample so that, it's also batch to batch variation. So like they're going through more batches. It's like ideally to get the best drag numbers, you'd have the same ball thrown over and over again. Right. Mm-hmm. Then you would, then you would know, well, you kind of, you want some relationship between the same ball so that you kind of know your drag metrics are correct and different balls so that you kind of have more sample of different balls. So I don't know. Uh, there is something to the fact that they're throwing more balls away and they're using way more balls. So I think uh, next week we'll, we'll probably hear more about it. I've got one player on this laggards board for hitters that I want to ask you about. Raphael Devers is off to a, a terrible start. Uh, 12 games so far, one homer, 32.7% K rate. Walk rate's down a little bit from where it was last year. I mean, it could just be a slump. There's plenty of players who are slumping to begin the season. Uh, Christian Yelich doesn't look like Christian Yelich right now. It's easy to find players that are just off to slow starts, right? Not a big deal. But when you start to look at underlying numbers, and you, if you see a big change in something like this, if you see a hitter being a lot more aggressive and swinging at pitches outside the zone more often are we getting close to a point where you'd look at that and start to look at year over year differences now that we're a few weeks into this season does that start to move the needle a little bit and suggest that something could be wrong like to me it's kind of like a caution light in a car where the problem might actually be pretty small or it might be a couple grand to get it fixed and endeavor's case you know i'm I'm a little bit concerned because it looks like the approach has just not quite been what it was a year ago in the early weeks of the season. Yeah, it's a little different. Uh, the These sort of metrics have a fairly high uh, year-to-year uh, correlation. And, um, you know, in the, in the case where someone has a kind of a demonstrated, um, uh, you know, other way of being, then I would say, um, you know, we, we were looking at, for example, the stabilization of this sort of stuff. And... Uh, when it comes to O swing and swing, 
you kind of you do want more sample than we've gotten so far. They do. They are things that become more meaningful early, uh, but uh, th- you also kind of want more sample. And so he hasn't been this bad in his past. But I will point out that his reach rates have been above average in every year of his career. They haven't been as bad as they are now, but he's always been a guy who reaches a little bit more. I was hoping that he would kind of continue to make progress that he seemed to have made last year. Um, and so this is a little disappointing, but it also kind of talks about how improvement is not linear. Um, and you can take steps back and kind of revert to to old um, to old ways. So, you know, Devers does strike me as someone who might be in this pool of not actually aging that well. You look at um, his natural play discipline is not that great. Um, and, um, his athleticism is, is good and his age is good at 23. Um, but, uh, what will he look at, look like at, at 30 and 31? I'm not sure that I, um, want to find that out on my roster. Yeah. I, I do think the longer view is key here. And I think with Devers, you know, how much of this is just complications from his ramp up, right? Like getting, back into the fold and I, I don't know like I just think everybody everybody's gonna handle these things differently too like this is an abnormal season and I can't hold it against the player who comes out and struggles for 12 15 20 games it's just gonna look so bad in a 60 game season it's gonna drag down production so much more than it would over the full uh, 162 but he's he struck me as a guy that just doesn't seem quite right 16 Ks against just two walks uh, in 12 games so far this season. Uh, anybody else on either of those lists really jump off the page to you in a, in a good way or, or a bad way? I mean, I've had a few looks at Luis Robert in this uh, this series against the Brewers. He looks phenomenal. He just looks so good. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that when you're, uh, you know, in this age range, you know, 23 and debuting, uh, I do think that we, it's possible we might overvalue some of his production this year going into drafts next year. Um, if he continues to have like a huge BABIP and not um, not uh, be penalized for his 25% swing strike rate, 28% K rate, and uh, ridiculous reach rate, um, I think he may end up being overvalued next year, and we may not understand the batting average risk as well as we think we do. Um, but I, I think that he's shown so much athleticism in terms of his max exit velocity, sprint speed, and uh, his ability on the on the field, the base pass, you know, and at the plate that uh, these are concerns for five years, six years from now, mostly, um, other than that kind of Babbitt type regression next year. Uh, one guy that uh, sticks out to me as being sort of uh, the modern day Josh Hamilton, someone um, that you should uh, watch out for in terms of aging is Corey Dickerson. Um, you know, he, he's not as good as Josh Hamilton, so it won't be as um, obvious. But if you look at his career, uh, like he's a has a 117 WRC plus for his career, right? 17% better than league average. And uh, he hasn't been worse than 16% above league average since 2017. So he's got a four-year stretch, including this year, where he's like 15 to 20% better than league average. There should be a lot of demand for his services. You know what I mean? Like, this is a very good bat. And yet, the Rays have him for one year and trade him away. They basically DFA him 
you know, instead of paying him more. And the Pirates have him for one year and don't re-up him after he has nearly three war, you know? I think they traded him? It was a late-season trade, and then he got trade. a two-year deal with the Marlins, at least. He got a two-year deal, but you'd think somebody coming off, that somebody who's like a demonstrated 20% above-league average bat, you know, why is he, like, scrounging for a deal, right? And it's A, defense, never been good at defense, and kind of seems on his way to first and 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 a DH. But B, every team knows how O-contact ages, you know? And it's going to fall. It, it, it's not even just that it ages badly. It falls off a cliff. And and let me just read his O-contacts for you. Like, I, I'm not going to do all of them. But it's like 77, <laughs> 70, 70, 70, 70, 73, 70, 70. Last year, 2019, 71, 72. Oh, everything's fine. Oh, my God. It's 57 now. And that's what happens. It just goes. Your ability goes. And his O-swing rates are the worst in baseball year in and year out. So he is the modern-day Josh Hamilton with less athleticism. So it's an even worse aging process. I mean, if there is, if you are selling and there is... And even if you think that you're going to be uh, a competitive next year, like... Corey Dickerson is absolutely the kind of guy you'll sell. You should sell even for like an A ball pitcher type deal. Yeah, and he's maybe a throw in type guy just yeah. to sweeten up a deal, get something else done because you, you're trading even a better player to get a big deal done. But uh, interesting player for for all those reasons. And yeah, the league seems to have figured it out. Like, yeah, he's been good, but he's not going to continue to play well, especially now on the wrong so, side of thirty. Yeah, and so think about Jeff McNeil. At 28 years old, uh, it is a really exciting story, and it's great. But this is now two years in a row. He has a really big outsized um, reach rate and uh, uh, and and uh, contact rate outside the zone that's good. You know, it could fall out at any moment. Um, and people kind of think of him as young, I think, uh, because he's 28. Um, and, uh, you know, because he hasn't been around as long, but he's old because he's 28. So, you know, Jeff McNeil may be another person that you may want to actually trade, um, this year. Yeah. It's interesting though, because McNeil, I kind of touched on it in passing before. I I think of him as a guy with a very good hit tool Mm -hmm. and in my mind, hit tool should age really well. Like yeah. bat to ball broadly should age well, but if it ages well only in the zone and not outside the zone, you know, that becomes a bit of a problem. I think McNeil is just one of the more fascinating cases league wide. He started playing baseball late. People know the story by now. He was a really good golfer in high school and ended up playing, I think, as a junior for the first time. So definitely wasn't one of those kids that was playing baseball from the time he was eight and just traveling all over, you know, just totally comfortable with it and obviously has done extremely well uh but i like bo bichette like i'm surprised he's on this list because in my mind bo bichette's the kind of player who would age very gracefully he has a lot of different tools to fall back on and the hit tools probably his best tool yeah but you know look around the league and how many 29 year old shortstops are there you know so will his bat play uh, you know, right now he's projected to be kind of league average to like 4% above league average with the bat. Um, what kind of positions will that play at? I mean, I guess it would play at second. Um, but you know, what would it look like too, if he's still striking out, uh, 23, 24% of the time, um, as much as I think he has a great hit tool too, like, um, he may end up 
at that point, being a guy with below average power, below average patience, below average contact, below average strikeout rate, um, and just uh, just good enough bat to play with uh, the defense at a at a at a lesser position. So it may not be that exciting for us, you know. <laughs> Uh, I hate to be a damper. I mean, I'm just saying like, this is also, he's 22. So we're talking about like six years from now. So he's, he's good to go. And I, I, I just generally, I think reach rate, I'm more worried about in the context of aging. That's, that's sort of what I wanted to get across because it's a little bit harder to kind of suss the value of this in the short run. Sometimes uh, a person like Kevin Biggio can, could maybe have a breakout by being less aggressive. That's sort of what I'm talking about. Right. And, um, by kind of being more aggressive and like Nimmo has been better when he's been more aggressive. Um, so there, there is a toggle. There's a personal toggle for each of these players. Um, but in terms of aging, I have to think that all the signs are good for Trent Grisham. Well, if you're like Eno and you're picking up some beverages for the weekend, we've got some good news for you. There is a company called dugout Mugs, started in a college baseball dugout who make awesome mugs. They take the barrel of a baseball bat and turn it into a 12-ounce mug. Dugout mugs are licensed by MLB, so you can have your favorite team logo laser engraved onto a Birchwood baseball bat barrel mug. You can also get custom logos put on the mugs as well. They're perfect for the big game or to put on display, and they make great gifts for the baseball fans in your life. Go to dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and use the promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and code MLB 30. You know, we should look at the other side here. We should look at pitchers and see how they're doing as far as getting hitters to chase pitches outside the zone. So we're looking for high O swing percentages for pitchers uh, and looking at low O swing percentages and trying to decide if, uh, if that's a concern. I think before we even get into this conversation, one thing you were talking to me about before we got started is that this metric O swing percentage stabilizes uh, faster for hitters than it does for pitchers, right? So this isn't necessarily as helpful on the pitching side in a vacuum, at least, as it would be for the hitters that we just talked about. I think we saw that it was around 1,600 pitches um, for pitchers, which would be um, like 16 starts, at least. I mean, st- starters aren't even going to get there this year. No, they're not going to get there this year. It's but, not going to happen. But looking at this, I do think there is some value to it. And I, I want you to read the leaders because um, – and then tell me – I'll tell you at the end of it what I think it's measuring. Okay, so here's the leaderboard. These are guys who are getting lots of swings and misses outside the zone, qualified pitchers. Ryan Yarbrough, number one, 44%. Aaron Nola, 42.9. Jack Flaherty at 40.7. Luis Castillo at 40.2. Randy Dobnik at 39.9, Sandy Alcantara at 39.3, Jacob deGrom at 38%, Dylan Bundy at 37.5, Shane Bieber at 37.4, Adam Wainwright down at 36.8, Matthew Boyd 36.3, Kyle Hendricks at 36.1, and then Merrill Kelly at 35.9. I cut it off at 13 for some weird reason. I don't really know what that's all about. What skill do you think that's measuring? I think that's measuring the ability to fool a hitter into swinging at a bad pitch. And that's what I think it is. But I think there are a few guys another on here word for that, that deception. Oh, that's interesting. I was thinking command. Yeah, there's, there's some command elements here, I think, too, because to get a hitter to chase a pitch outside the zone, it has to be convincing. It has, it has to, be to close. look like a strike. Yeah, it has yeah. to look like a strike, yeah. It has to have command. It has to look like a strike. So I think you know we're, we're on the same page. I think what's interesting, though, is that you see Yarbrough and Dobnik 
and Kyle Hendricks. I mean, yeah, sure, those guys all have good command. It, it doesn't necessarily mean you have great stuff. You don't have to have great stuff to get swings and misses outside the zone. That's where great command could come in and, and get you there. Uh, so I think it's a really fun leaderboard just because those are not 13 pitchers who all attack hitters the same way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, it's an undervalued skill. It's an undervalued skill by baseball itself. Uh, command is um, and that uh, that it's undervalued to some extent because uh, pitchers can't. Um, uh, we, no, statistically, we have a harder time putting a number on it. Um, and so it's a lot easier to look at the radar gun, look at the pitch FX and say, this guy has great stuff. Let's improve his location strategy. The whole problem is if you have a great location strategy, i.e. heat maps and, hey, throw this here and throw this here to this batter, uh, it still takes command to execute that. (laughs) So even if you can be like, okay, we're going to adjust this location strategy so that if your misses, if you miss, you miss outside of the zone or outside of the, the, the hitting zone. And that, that's basically, I don't think that people necessarily improve their command. That's, this is where we're getting past the numbers a little bit. And my personal bias is that command is a little bit more inherent than stuff. Stuff we found in these days, like you can improve velocity, you can improve the shape of pitches, you can work at pitch design, you can change the grip. Uh, it seems like stuff is more malleable. Command, it seems almost like the inherent thing. Like how good are you at putting that ball where you want it? and shaping it the way you want it. So this, this to me, is a group of undervalued players. And yes, it includes Jacob deGrom. He, it's impossible to undervalue him. I understand. But also, uh, you know, maybe Matthew Boyd isn't going to have these problems all year. Maybe he just needs to start throwing the change up a little bit more. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more gas would help him. And, and then Randy Dobnak, to me, is just fascinating because the guy who throws with that arm slot should have way problems against lefties. And, you know, I went into it in a, in a thread with, with, uh, on Twitter yesterday last night where we kind of tried to examine how he got lefties out and basically what happens is Dobnak is dominant against righties because that arm slot is just so hard for people to pick up so he's got deception and command um, and he's got a really good breaking ball and this and the fastball works uh, from that arm slot against righties against lefties the breaking ball still gets whiffs nothing else gets whiffs not even the changeup that he throws which is rare from that arm slot what happens is all he does is focus on getting ground balls and so that's how he had a six-inning strikeout yesterday, where uh, six-inning one-strikeout shutout basically yesterday, um, and, and that it all has to do with just limiting the damage from lefties. And some guys will go out there and just walk lefties. It's kind of what Denilson Lamet does: dominate righties and walk lefties. You know, <laughs> I don't think it's a great long-term strategy. Uh, you you end up if a righty gets a hit, it's a lot of runs. You know that sort of deal. Uh, but for Dobnak, uh, I, I'm 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 kind of interested to see. Um, you know, I think he's a pickup in almost all leagues, and I'm happy that I have a, a, a fair amount of shares because he was going to be my glue guy. I thought he was going to be kind of like a six starter that got wins, uh, but he's definitely belongs on this list. He has command and funk and deception, and he has both of the things that we thought this list was measuring. Um, and uh, he's got three injured pitchers. Uh, in his rotation so he's squarely in that rotation yeah he looks safe for the foreseeable future so i'm with the on uh, dobnik having a lot of value pretty much universally rostered i think after this weekend uh once fab runs again uh but yeah i I think this is a a good group i mean i i think adam wainwright could also potentially be 
undervalued in that I think everyone's kind of just done with him. But maybe as a streamer, especially, he's a guy that you shouldn't just completely write off at this point. Like I think I used him for his start against the Pirates the first weekend, and that went perfectly fine. So I think kind of picking your spots with a guy like that can still be pretty helpful. Yeah, and uh, and I think this <laughs> it's actually sort of amazing that there's a correlate like this. I think this speaks a lot to a- to aging. I think this speaks a lot to how well you're going to age. We'll see it a little bit on the laggards, and I, I want to do the laggards in a second. But Adam Wainwright, man, the dude is throwing like 87 miles an hour at this point. Like, and he's kind of all like he's barely a three pitch pitcher. He's kind of a two pitch pitcher. How is he even relevant? Like, how are we still talking about Adam Wainwright? Because he has great command. You know, so all these pitchers on this list may, and it pains me to say this because I did actually just trade Aaron Nola away in a, in a dynasty league, and I, I'm kicking myself today, man. He had a great start, um, but uh, these these pitchers may age well, and you know, if you want like sort of a command plus on some young pitchers, um, you know, Jesus Lazardo has above average uh, command plus, but uh, you know, some injuries. Zach Gallen to me is the Trent Grisham of pitching. I think he's going to age amazingly well. He has four good pitches and really good command. So Zach Gallen is my my good ager that I'm picking. Uh, let me look at some other young pitchers that have high. Ross Stripling has a 115 command plus. I think that bodes well for him. Um, Andrew Haney, but he's like Lizardo, where it's like I have to put that injury asterisk on there, you know. Um, you know, Luke Weaver has a 108 command plus. Still have to put that injury asterisk on there. Griffin Canning, 103. Uh, huge injury asterisk. Um, Austin Voth, 108. And has that new splitter that I wrote about. So Alec Mills, 110. Some of these guys are like, ah, oh, but they're just not exciting in terms of, you know, jiffability and uh, and just like bite and movement and velocity. And, that, and that's true. Uh, but you may find out that they age a lot better than you expect. I'm looking at the same kind of 10-year thing I talked about earlier with hitters to see, like, okay, who's done this really well over the past decade? Masahiro Tanaka among starters is number one. Number one in Command Plus, number one in O-Swing. I think we've found something here a little bit. Yeah, Miles Michaelis, a little higher up there than I expected. He's been in the league for a few years since coming back, of course. DeGrom right there, yeah. number three. All great. Syndergaard. Plus, yeah. Syndergaard, uh, yeah. Carlos Carrasco high on this leaderboard. Surprising. Carl Pavano. I mean, he had a long career. He hung around for a while. But Patrick Corbin is up there. Yeah. <laughs> Butt strain. Yes. Definitely on Corbin. Uh, high command. Uh, Hisashi Iwakuma pops up on here. Mm. Kind of tricky because he didn't start his career. Yeah, we America, got the right? end of his like, career. Uh, Chris Sale, Corey Kluber, Joe Musgrove, Shane Bieber, Bieber. Dylan Bundy, Kyle Gibson. Hmm, Kyle Gibson. Interesting. High command plus. Uh, Marco Gonzalez. Yep. Brandon McCarthy. Oh. Sean Manaya. Oh, man. And then there's Walker Bueller, there's Josh a- Tomlin. I mean, Josh Tomlin's still around. Like he's still getting guys out. Tomlin and Manaya are demonstrate where the line is with stuff in command, I think. Like that's that's the sort of they're pushing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Manaya at eighty eight is pushing it, man. He is pushing it. Yes, he might have some good command, but like 
he's he's he might lose his rotation spot. Like if AJ Puck was healthy, I think the next person out of the rotation would be Sean Manaya, not Chris Bassett. I feel like we're very critical of Sean Manaya. I know, on but this I'm podcast, sorry. Is, I love him. Not at Such all. A good Again, yeah. It's so bad. Well, hopefully he can turn it around. Now some laggards on this, guys who have been really low in terms of getting swings and misses outside the zone. Uh, one of our favorite pickups of the year, Christian Javier, number one, 21.1%. Uh, Robbie Ray, Spencer Turnbull. You're like, uh-oh, this is a bunch of guys that we kind of like. No, it's not. Eric, Eric Fetty, Matt Shoemaker, Antonio Sensatella. There's Lucas Giolito, who I think you were probably lower on than just about anybody out there doing rankings this draft season. Rick Porcello, Mike Clevenger, Ross Stripling. And then you get Kyle Freeland, John Gray, Denelson Lamette, and Alex Cobb kind of rounding out the bottom of that list. Yeah, and this is, I think, where our correlation to command falls apart a little bit. Um, or maybe it sort of just talks about how difficult it is to kind of tease out stuff in command, right? Because Kyle Freeland has has pretty good command, and he's gotten it back a little bit. If you look at his command plus, uh, it was good in 2018, bad in 2019, and it's above average again. And I think he kind of yo-yos around based on how good his command is. Ross Stripling has good command. Um, and uh, Alex Cobb has decent command. So it, it's not a straight one-to-one. Turnbull has decent command. It's not a straight one-to-one correlation here. But generally, this is a list of stuff over command. I mean, that's what I would say is what we're seeing with Stripling, Gray, Lamette, uh, Senzatella, uh, Ray, and Javier at the top. High stuff, low command. Yeah, that's a, that's a good general summary. And again, I think we should remind everyone this is still not as firm as the hitting O swing percentages, comparatively speaking, too. So you might have a few other surprises. Or some laggards on the 10-year list. 10-year laggards in O swing percentage. Anyone come to mind? Anybody you think that would be on this list? I think Lamette is, is, um, belongs on this list. And has a decent amount right. of sample. I wouldn't be surprised if Lamette and Ray were on that list. So here are some names. Uh, David Phelps, Jared Cozart, uh, well, give me starters. Sensatella. Give me starters. Uh, they, I mean, I filtered on oh, starters. Oh, I guess Phelps uh, used see. to start. Okay. Jonathan Sanchez. Oh, uh, yeah. Chatwood. There you go. All stuff. No command. Here we go. Here we go. CJ Wilson. Oh, that's surprising. Uh, Aaron Sanchez, yeah, Giovanni yeah. Gallardo. There you go. There you Baldo go. Baldo Jimenez. Oh. Like, this is, I mean, <laughs> you know what? Like These are guys that just frustrated us for years. Oh, my like, God. I I really think command is an undervalued thing. I, I hate to jump all in, but like think, like think about how hard it was to rank Josh James going into the season, right? We all saw how amazing the stuff was and how bad the command was. And... This is just convincing me. His what happened to him this year is just convincing me that like if a guy has like an 80 or 85 or lower command plus, like they're not going to make my top 100 starters. They're just way more likely to become a reliever. For clarity, I think I think you pointed this out before. Was Tyler Glass now in the 80 to 85 range prior to his time at the Rays? Three, it says on. So he was a little higher. He was barely. I I think I've, I, I, I put a line at like 85. Yeah, because I I kept looking at Josh James and I kept seeing Tyler Glass. Now I'm like, this is a smart team. They're gonna figure it out. It was worse, and it happened to be worse. Here are the worst Command Plus guys that I put in my top 100: Denilson Lamette, 89, and that's why he's on this list here. Um, Dustin May, 91, where you're just like, oh, so much stuff. It's probably gonna be all right. Garrett Richards, 89. 
So I think that that's where my line is around 90. Uh, then uh, Tyler Chatwood, 86. But I think the cutter has really helped him improve it. Dylan Cease, 89.8. So 90 is a really kind of significant area. Nate Pearson was 88 in his first start. It'd be interesting to see for debuts, are guys quite a bit lower because it's their first time out? Yeah, they on, on average five or, or 10 points lower than the rest of their season. Yeah, that's, uh, it might be something I have enough sample to do. I'll, I'll look into that. That seems like an interesting article. Sean Newcomb, 89, but th- this lines up with what we think, right? Tuki Toussaint, 87, but he's, he was, uh, he's just sneaking into my 100 now because of opportunity. So I, I already did this, but uh, I did have Josh James in the, in like at around 55 or something. And he has an 87 going in. Joey Lucchese, 88. So I'm gonna, I'm not gonna maybe make like a hard line at 90, but it's, it's getting harder. You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, I really turfed Joey Lucchese because of this, and it feels like I did the right thing. You know, I think part of it with Josh James comes back to game theory, though. Where at the price, I think you can gamble on someone like that, but you have to know if they didn't pull him from the rotation. If this were a full season, they may have given him a little more time to figure it out. Would you have benched him? Would you have cut him? Like, do you have the discipline to do that? I don't know if I'd have that. I think I would have had the, now the stuff's too good. Got to keep rolling him out there. Yeah. And you keep taking on water in the form of those bad ratios. I did. Uh, I think <laughs> this being, I got, I got one share of him and, and I definitely ran him out there every day. <laughs> do you keep him as a multi-inning reliever, especially with Ozuna out? Although, yeah, I mean, he could be in the, in the mix for closing, but I mean, I just think that it's mostly Presley. I think Presley's so good that as long as he's healthy, he's the exactly, guy. But yeah. if we were talking about rostering Trevor Richards on every episode for 27 straight episodes, I mean, Josh James out of the bullpen could be really good. Sneaking some wins in there, plenty of Ks, but could be a bumpy ride as we've seen already in those first couple starts. And I would say that uh, the, all the names that you mentioned did not age well. No, no, they, they did not. Um so Tyler Chatwood was on that list, and you mentioned the cutter being a big difference for him. I think he was in your stuff and command report last Friday. That's why pitch mix changes are so big, because pitch mix changes can change not only your stuff number, but your command number, because you might command this new pitch better. Should we trust Tyler Chatwood? Like, how, how much should we trust Tyler Chatwood? Is he I mean, legitimately like a top 50 starter the rest of the way with that adjustment? I'm, I'm not going that far. Uh, I put him 65. Okay, 65. So in a 12-team league, he's your SP6. Yeah. So he's in the lineup a lot. Like, you sit him in tough matchups, but you'd still use him more often than... Like, if Milwaukee's offense gets going and you, 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 you like, pitch Chatwood in Milwaukee, I'm... Uh... Yeah, tough park. Good lineup when everyone's healthy and, and playing well. Uh, beatable right now. Lots of swing and miss, though. I think... I think the Brewers are temporarily, at least, a team you can stream against, especially outside of Miller Park. Uh, they'll probably figure it out, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's rough. Who had the Cubs? Who had the Cubs? Stand up and take a bow if you had the Cubs for being like, you know, the team that would take this short sample high variance thing and just ride it into the sunset, man. Just like, just be like, oh, you thought our pitching staff was bad. Guess what? <laughs> we have great starters. Really? You have great starters? What? <laughs> I mean, Chatwood and Mills both like I and I believe in Mills. I believe in Mills. It masks their greatest flaw. Like they 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 to me are not a playoff caliber bullpen. They are a bullpen that will 
But it's going well now, too, even with Kimbrel falling apart. Yeah, Rowan Wick. He's the real deal. Uh, let's move on to a question that came in from Andrew. It's a question at least inspired by Andrew. Uh, Justin Upton kind of seems like he's in the the small side of a platoon because things are getting crowded in Anaheim. They brought up Joe Adele, like we talked about on Tuesday. Brian Goodwin not swinging at pitches outside the zone, kind of on the big side of that platoon with Upton right now. The question from Andrew was about streaky players, and it was in a season like the one that we're having, doesn't it make sense to devalue the boring and steady players and find the players with the record or capacity, not just for high-soaring single games, but for six, seven, or eight-game stretches? Guys that just go on fire for a while. And Justin Upton was one of his examples, and I think Rugnet Odor was also an example that he brought up. Um, so he was kind of wondering, who else is streaky? And for the longest period, those are the players I'm looking for. Do you think that's the right way to to look at the pool this year to try and find lightning in a bottle? The guys, I mean, Chris Davis with a K, I think when he's hot, he looks as good as any player in the league. When he's off, he's striking out uncontrollably and you want to drop him. And you're afraid to drop him because when he bounces back, like it it changes your team for a stretch of, of 10 or 15 games. So do you believe in this, this whole concept? Yeah, it's a, it's a tight wire act. I mean, you just, you just nailed it with Chris Davis. I think Um, in a season where we have to make decisions faster and teams are going to make decisions faster because like to Chris Davis is now sitting against righties, you know Um, that makes them easier to drop. Like I think Chris Davis is droppable. I don't know, AL only, maybe you just have to hold on. But in most other leagues, like if he's not going to be starting against righties, like we got to move on. And so you could actually kind of chase this a little bit because um, in a short sample, a volatile player could do well or do badly. And in this situation, if they're doing badly, their team is likely to sit them and they're going to be, it's going to be easier to be like, hey, I'm just going to drop this guy. Right. So, like, if a door starts out badly, uh, you know, then just drop, you know, because his team has other options and they may go to those other options, just like the A's have done with Chris Davis. Uh, The the way to find these players, and I think you might have noticed it just by the examples we've given so far, is strikeout rate. Bill Petty did a, a stat called volatility, which measured how kind of how wide the range was between your best kind of rolling 15 game Woba and your worst. So your best and your worst, like how wide is that gap? Um, and the biggest normal stat that um, that correlates with volatility is strikeout rate. So you can just sort by strikeout rate. You got Domingo Santana. This is last year's strikeout rate, but Domingo Santana, Danny Santana, Suarez maybe seems to have be on the opposite end of that sort of streakiness right now. Luke Voigt, Javier Baez, Juan Moncada, I think, is a streaky player. Um, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. is 11th in strikeout rate last year. Like the definition of streaky. Like totally unusable at times and totally like top 10 player at other times, you know. Um, so, you know, stri- you could look by strikeout rate. And uh, the problem is like sort of picking them up right now. Because if you pick a guy up right now that has a high strikeout rate that is struggling, you may find that the team Chris Davis is him, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but if you have a guy that's a high strikeout rate, let me switch over to 2020, high strikeout rate but doing well. Like maybe he's overvalued, and uh, you know how how available is he? So let's let's see, high strikeout rate, but doing well. Ryan McMahon, uh, easily replaceable if it goes south at all. Wilson Contreras, uh, not easily replaceable, but not on wires. 
Um, John Birdie hitting 222. Dansby Swanson, not on wires. Uh, I'm trying to find a guy who's doing well, high strikeout rate, and not uh, and on your wires. Oh, Will Myers, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you know, Will Myers might have a great season. He could. He uh, he seems to be on the right side of the volatility right now. I mean, he's got a lot of ways to make value too, because he's got power and speed. It's basically you don't expect a good batting average. I think that's that's where we're at right now. He is. He is running hot. Those plate skills look identical to last year in terms of strikeout rate and walk rate through the early going. So, Yeah, he's hitting 302 with homers. <laughs> but even last year when it wasn't going well for him, 18 homers, 16 steals in 155 games. Which is why he might not be on the wire, right? Yeah, I think people were still chasing that power-speed combo. So, Who's on the wire then? Kyle Schwarber, if someone dropped him. Uh, you know, CJ Crone is not doing well, but... The power's there, and he could go off once the Tigers start playing again. Uh, Benintendi looks like a mess. Yeah, that's surprise. I, I thought Benintendi was going to be a good value where he was going. I'm a little nervous about that. <laughs> so it's early, but it's not that early. And that Boston team is is falling apart. Like they have major issues pitching that we talked about, but they they just they look like they are. Folding right now. JDM is complaining about JD Martinez is complaining about uh not having video in between at bats and hitting poorly. It's all it's all messy in Boston at this point. But thanks a lot for the question, Andrew. Got one more uh Twitter response that I wanted to get to on this episode. And uh this was a suggestion for the name of your sandwich shop. And it came in just the other day. The suggestion was that you name your sandwich shop Wraps and Barrels. Works pretty good. It works pretty good. But then what about the sandwiches that aren't wraps? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the problem, right? Like wraps are just sometimes. They're not all the time. Well, it kind of inspires me. Oh, no. I can't do a wrap today. I, I might want to do a sandwich today, but I've got brioche. And when you have brioche, you use the brioche. I actually use brioche for Sloppy Joes now. Oh, and I made some. I made some grilled cheeses. The brioche was amazing. I made French toast. The brioche was amazing. It's. I made a roast beef with brioche. Oh, it's. I, I really like it. It's a magic bread, really. It's probably not good. Probably not good for me. Oh, it's definitely not good for us. It, <laughs> it's one of the best breads you can readily have available. So. You have to do it. Uh, if you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to rate and review the podcast, please take the time to do that. We greatly appreciate it. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic already, again, get 40% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Get Eno stuff, all of our baseball coverage, league-wide, team-by-team, and fantasy coverage as well. Plus, as we said at the top, football is about to start. Basketball is happening. Hockey's happening. We've got great soccer coverage on the site as well. Racing, everything you could possibly want, all for one subscription theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. As always, you can reach us via email, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. Spell out the word and if you go that route on Twitter. He's at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.